The restaurant industry has been fighting for survival over the last two years, and our greatest resource in this fight has been our people. The men and women who have poured, served, seated, greeted, and worked tirelessly to keep our industry going. Yelp for Restaurants believes now is the perfect time to recognize their efforts and give back to those that have given us so much with the creation of The Servies, a first-of-its-kind set of awards celebrating front-of-house workers. Winners receive a beautifully designed Servies trophy, a free pair of snib shoes, and a $3,000 tip. That's right. $3,000 in their pocket. Know someone deserving of a service award? Maybe they work at your restaurant. Visit theservies.com today and nominate them for a chance to win. Let's support the service industry together. Do so by nominating someone today. No purchase necessary. Must be 18 or older and a U.S. resident. Eight nominated contest winners will receive a prize of $3,000. Nominations must be submitted between August 3rd, 2022 and August 24th, 2022. See official rules available at theservies.com. Now here we go. We believe that a brand is every way you touch a customer. So whether that's through packaging, whether that's through the in-store experience, whether that's through social media, we need to be consistent and we need to have a look and feel that represents our brand the way we want it to be represented. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Seth Cohen and his partners have built one hell of a restaurant group. Sweetfin is easily one of the best fast casual offerings in the country today. But I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about the business itself that Seth and his partners have built. Today's conversation is about brand equity, marketing, messaging, real estate, and scaling a blockbuster concept in a post-pandemic world. So I had a diverse professional path. I guess I could start in college. I was uh, going to USC, studied business at Marshall as an undergraduate. And during college, I was just like a college kid that loved to hustle. So I had some odd jobs, but also got involved in promoting parties um, and bringing university students off campus into LA. I had the opportunity to work at Live Nation, which was a great opportunity for me as a young guy working alongside the president of Global Venues and also the president of on-site products. And working there really taught me my first experience, the basics of venue management 101. So I would oversee the P&Ls. I learned about the profitability and the losses on each of their venues. I started to understand KPIs and really understood uh, cost drivers associated with running a brick-and-mortar business. I would say my first introduction into the restaurant world at college at USC. Out of college, I was going into the Great Recession in 2010, and my job at Live Nation was eliminated, unfortunately, as they had a ton of layoffs uh, right when I graduated. So I jumped into the world of real estate finance, which was also ended up being a very helpful part of my learnings in terms of growing a restaurant concept. It taught me how to evaluate a business in terms of a real estate asset. I learned about leases, I learned about debt and covering debt costs. So it was a really kind of great background before I jumped into the world of hospitality. And how did you meet your business partner? 
at the beginning, we had three business partners. So myself, Brett Nestad, Alan Nathan, and Dakota Weiss, who was our executive chef. Brett Nestad and I went to USC together. He was the president of the fraternity. I was the vice president of our fraternity. After college, we really had a similar passion of wanting to create a brand, something that was scalable in the hospitality world and the food world. And we would come up with concepts and have dinner together and really hash out some business ideas. And one of the concepts that we created together was this idea of doing something in the world of poke, which was a brand new category. And so we started writing our business plan and were very ambitious and had the ambition of opening 100 locations around the country and quickly learned or realized that we didn't know enough about the hospitality business to really run a successful business. So Brett was talking to his parents about our new opportunity, and they suggested that we meet one of their family friends who was living in Los Angeles named Alan Nathan. And at the time, Alan had been in the hospitality world for about 15 to 20 years, had opened up multiple concepts, and was running the W Hotel in Westwood. So we sat down with Alan, explained to him our idea of creating a standalone poke concept in the fast casual world. And Alan had never done anything in fast casual. And we grabbed some poke and Alan fell in love with the concept. And at the time as well, Dakota Weiss had just finished filming Top Chef. She was our chef originally. And we pitched her on the idea of Sweetfin and she loved it as well. So really within a matter of weeks, we had two business partners. We sat down, we shook on it and we started creating the concept. Well, and I'm curious to know, because when we look at hospitality across the I guess, across all the different types of things you could have done in hospitality. Why a restaurant? That's a good question. For whatever reason, I don't have the exact answer. I was always infatuated with restaurants. I loved cooking. I was a home cook, even at an early age. I was probably one of the first people in my peer group to fall in love with the Food Network. So it's just something that I had a passion for. Food was an important part of my family's life. We did a lot of home-cooked dinners. And you know, I felt like in 2010, kind of in the middle of this recession, it was really the time when fast casual restaurants started to take off for various numbers of reasons. But it was an exciting time. There were a lot of concepts that were growing and were starting to scale. And I felt that there was an opportunity to do something different in the market. And our category had never been touched before in this kind of fast casual world. So it just seemed like a great opportunity to bring something new to the market. And the restaurant for me was a exciting vessel to do that because it was something I always want to do. In your mind, why did the world need another restaurant? What unserved or underserved need did you see in the market? Again, the fast casual world was just developing and concepts were taking off, but really everyone was doing a lot of the same things. There wasn't a lot of innovation. I think Sweet Green was the most innovative at the time. Shake Shack was just developing. You had brands like Chipotle coming out strong, Lemonade, Mendocino Farms, and a lot of the fast casual really focusing on sandwiches, pizza, burgers, and salads. And I wanted to create something along with my partners that was fresh and healthy, that was affordable and accessible to people, and different. And we found this category of food that people love to eat. They didn't know they loved to eat it, but we knew that people love sushi. And really, through the creation of Sweetfin, our mission to fuel life through freshness was born. And we feel like the world needed or needs, continues to need, more healthy, fast, casual options that make people feel great. I couldn't agree with you more. 
who inspired you going into the project? For me, I've always been a thief. As a restaurateur, it's, it's a professional habit that has served me well. As I've looked to restaurateurs and restaurant concepts and then was inspired enough to model out my own version of what I loved about them or their concepts. Who did you look up to going into this? We took a little from quite a few brands and restaurants at the time. Shake Shack, I think, was our North Star in terms of how can you create a scalable brand that makes menu items from scratch in-house daily and really take a chef-driven approach. So that was a brand that we really looked up to and they had fantastic marketing. We loved the way they did their collaborations. And then on a local level, we had Tender Greens, another chef-driven, a truly chef-driven fast casual restaurant that changed the game at the time. Sweet Green for their sustainability, their emphasis on fresh produce and product. They were a guiding kind of light to us. And Sugarfish, interestingly enough, was another one. They showed us that you can scale raw fish of high quality in multiple units. And also, when we were developing the Sweetfin concept, no one had done poke before. Right now, if you look at the category as a whole, I'd say 99% of the concepts have taken this build your own bowl line setup where it's like Chipotle or sweet green, where you go in front of the line and you choose your ingredients. What we took from Sugarfish, which we thought was interesting, was Sugarfish was able to remove the sushi bar and the sushi chef from the restaurant, but still maintain a high quality product and still put out beautiful dishes without necessarily needing to show off the entire process of creating their dishes. So we decided to not go with the build your own bowl line, but rather create your bowl behind the line in a proper kitchen, and then we'll bring it out to you to eat. I want to go back to something you had talked about earlier, because I think it's a valuable lesson for everyone. And it's a lesson that I continue to learn on an annual basis. There was a bunch you didn't know about this industry going into it. And you took this who, not what approach to filling in those gaps which I think is really interesting, really valuable, and is a wonderful model for others to follow. Talk to me about that overall ideology, the idea that rather than becoming an expert in all of these different things, you looked for people that had that expertise going into it. And how has that ideology served you as you guys have scaled? Yeah, that's exactly right. I knew what I was good at, and I knew what I wasn't good at. And hopefully with time, I would learn to get better. I knew I was great at understanding real estate. I knew that I had an analytical business mind. I knew that I was very good at marketing and branding, but I wasn't good at operations. I knew nothing about running a kitchen. I knew nothing about opening a restaurant, and I knew nothing about menu development and creation. The thought process was, why don't we put together a team of experienced entrepreneurs and people in the hospitality industry to create really a strong, well-rounded team where everyone's skills complements one another. So Dakota, for example, created a menu that was so innovative and creative at the time compared to what our contemporaries were doing, giving her the runway to be creative and innovative really set us apart in the market. Having Alan understanding operations and helping us build our SOPs and a real business around what we were doing was important. And that helped to scale, bringing on experienced investors at the time. So I had the opportunity to meet a gentleman named David Swinghammer, who was a partner at a private equity fund called Stripes Group. But he came up and with Danny Meyer at Union Square Hospitality, 
ended up developing the Shake Shack concept with Danny Meyer as the CEO of Shake Shack. And he became both a mentor and an investor. And having those type of people on your side and learning from them and learning from mistakes. And if you have a question, being able to pick up the phone and being humble enough to recognize what your skills are and, and where your deficiencies are was really helpful for us. And to this day, we're continuing to iterate and learn. And we've done great along the way, but we've also made a lot of errors and missteps. And we're continually learning and trying to get better. And even as we start to build our corporate team, how can we bring in the best in class people to complement the skill sets of the founders? Let's dig into some of those mistakes. What are some mistakes you guys made in the early days or even now that you would hope others would avoid? I think scaling a restaurant business is extremely challenging. And I'm sure most of the listeners understand that. I heard an interesting stat this last week, actually. 66% of all restaurants in the United States are single unit operators. And it just goes to show how challenging it is to take your restaurant concept from one unit to two units and then grow from there. There's so many different disciplines associated with the restaurant industry and scaling that people don't necessarily understand from the beginning. So you have things like real estate site selection, construction management, brand development, leadership development, supply chain management, technology and infrastructure. So there's so many parts of the business that go hand in hand with scaling that most entrepreneurs, when they're jumping into their first unit, don't really understand what it takes to go from one to multiple units. I'd say our biggest misstep from the beginning was we opened the store, our first store in 2015, Santa Monica is going incredibly well. We were doing sales per square foot that probably rivaled every single restaurant in the city, if not the country. And we looked to open our second unit. And I think we made our first real estate mistake, which we've learned from. Our first model unit was a thousand square feet, and we jumped to a unit that was now 1,850 square feet in a lifestyle center. So, totally different size, totally different real estate site selection. So, we went from a mixed use building in in a dense area in Santa Monica to a lifestyle center that was just opening up. So, classic restaurant tour mistake. We had this false belief that, hey, if we're doing X amount of sales out of a thousand square feet, Imagine what we'll do out of 1,800 square feet. And that's not necessarily Mm -hmm. what happened. So I think before you scale, really understanding what is your footprint, and especially in today's world where so many of the orders are coming in digitally and on-premise dining is declining, especially in this fast, casual, quick service world, how can you build a concept that fits into a box that isn't too big where you can control your costs from a real estate standpoint? And then I think also is scaling before you really understand your SOPs and really have a strong corporate infrastructure integrated in the business. We jumped from LA to San Diego probably two and a half or three years after opening our first store in Los Angeles. And even though San Diego is only two hours, two and a half hours, four hours sometimes in bad traffic from LA. The difference in operating a restaurant in another market when your entire corporate infrastructure and team is a few hours away was a big learning. And so how can you, again, cluster stores in geographic areas, build teams around those stores, and then go ahead and scale from there? It's very hard to operate in multiple geographies without having that proper infrastructure systems in place to control quality, to control human resources in all aspects of running the business. 
Let's look at the other side of that coin. What do you think you guys did right? And what do you continue to do right? Well, we clearly nailed the concept. We, again, can confidently say that we are pioneers in this new category of poke. We created a product, again, that was fresh. It took all the familiar flavors of sushi and put it into an easy-to-eat bowl. People love the flavors. People love the freshness of our product. So I think we did a really good job of, A, creating the category, and then B, which is almost more important, differentiating ourselves in a very crowded category. So we did that through product, using innovative ingredients. We brought a lot of ingredients in from Japanese cuisine, Korean cuisine. We took influence from so many different cultures. We focused on sustainability when others weren't talking about it. So we're very transparent on how we are sourcing our product, how we are sourcing our protein from the beginning. We focused on design. So how could we differentiate ourselves from a design standpoint? If someone walks into a sweet fin, they need to know that they're walking into a sweet fin, whereas other players in the category were just opening up to open up. We had a very distinctive brand and a brand voice. We took, from a marketing standpoint, a full 360-degree approach on marketing and building this brand that ended up being probably, I believe, the strongest brand in the category. And we believe that a brand is every way you touch a customer. So whether that's through packaging, whether that's through the in-store experience, whether that's through social media, we need to be consistent and we need to have a look and feel that represents our brand the way we want it to be represented. So no detail goes unnoticed from the way we put stickers on our bowls with certain catchphrases to the way we package our, to the way we do our delivery takeout. There's a lot of detail that goes into what we do. And I think we also, from a business standpoint, identified a model that can work and can be replicated and can be scaled. We have a business model that can work in units as small as 600 square feet. We can flex up to 12, 1300 square feet. It allows us to create beautiful spaces that are inexpensive to build. We have the ability to limit our labor model just because of the size of our units. We have a product that delivers great. It's great for takeout. It's great for catering. So you can drive meaningful revenue out of a box that's only six to 700 square feet. We don't have to compete with the big boys, so to speak, in the fast casual world, the sweet greens, the kavas that are looking for 2,500 to 3,000 square foot boxes. We can take a little carve out next to them. We can be flexible without needing a hood and just refrigeration. So there's a lot to like in our business model. And I think from a business model standpoint, we really nailed it. Let's talk about marketing. Let's drill down into that because you head up marketing, strategic partnerships, and business development. In an industry notorious for poor or non-existent marketing and working exclusively in isolation, do you think that your focus in these areas has been a significant competitive advantage? 100%. There's so many aspects to marketing, and I think we hit all of them as well as we can. So first, you have what I think is probably the most important is what we call LSM, local store marketing, getting in the community, having the managers meet people, influencers in the community or people of influence, not necessarily what we consider influencers these days, getting to know the schools, getting to know the people that are decision makers in a community. So that's number one. How can we get involved there? 
How can we do charity events? How can we bring people into our restaurants and really become ingrained in the community? And then you have a whole digital aspect of restaurant marketing. So that's from digital ad spend to creating content for social media, TikTok, Instagram. I think we were the first, or if not one of the first restaurant brands, even when we had one unit, to invest heavily in creating creative photography and videography at Sweetfin. So before it was trendy to create these beautiful kind of behind the scene food porn type videos, we were doing it. So we'd post them on Instagram. And at the time, Instagram was the number one discovery tool Mm -hmm. for restaurants and other brands. And we'd get millions of free impressions of people from all over the world discovering Sweetfin and, and what we were doing. We've done amazing collaborations with chefs and artists and influencers where we can leverage their networks in order to create innovative bowls and new limited time items that they promote. Mm -hmm. We have PR when we need it. So there's a PR angle. How can we get into the media in terms of telling our story and letting people know about these new menu items? So we try to hit it from 360 degrees. I think even being thoughtful about the brand, being thoughtful about our design, being thoughtful about packaging, our brand voice, those are all things on a daily basis we talk about and we try to be consistent. To me, it's mind-blowing because it's one thing to be the best restaurateur in the world, and that's great. But great restaurants go out of business day in and day out. Great food, great service. I mean, especially when you see how filled out the poke space became after you guys got into it, right? That There were dozens of competitors, some that were heavily financed. But it seems like your central focus on marketing and these strategic partnerships gave you an advantage because everyone else is trying to be the best this or the best that, but you guys were easily the best marketers in the space. And I would argue extending outside of your category and kind of in fast casual generally. I think at the end of the day, marketing is really important and and happy to talk on that in, in a moment. But I think product, you have to have a great product that leaves people um, after. You have to have a great product where people want to come back and try it and you're getting positive word of mouth reviews and great service. And I think we created in this category the best product. And through that product, you're able to really do a great job in terms of marketing and branding and setting ourselves up to do that. I want to give a shout out to a gentleman named Ken Munch. He's a CMO of Yum Brands, and I just read his book, and I thought it was so interesting how simple it is the way he describes a great company in terms of creating a brand. He said, number one, a brand needs to be relevant to the consumer. So how can you stay culturally relevant? We do that through our collaborations. We do that through innovative partnerships in pop culture. For example, when we opened, we had the opportunity to serve our poke bowl at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel. So this is kind of an example of thinking outside the box. So we had a relationship uh-huh. with Beverly Wilshire Hotel, five-star hotel in Beverly Hills, probably, I don't know, seven, $800 a night. And we told them, hey, can we do a takeover one of these weekends? And we'll do a very high-end $40 poke bowl with shaved truffles and uni and some amazing ingredients and just highlight sweet fin. And, and what that did, again, is part of brand building. It set us apart in so many different ways. We get involved with events, even chef-driven events like LA Food Bowl, LA Food and Wine, the Bon Appetit events. How can we surround ourselves amongst the top restaurant tours 
in the world. So we always try to be culturally relevant. And then easy to access, omni-channel. How can someone easily order Sweetfin, whether it's on our app, it's on their web browser, it's picking up, they're ordering via kiosk, it's ordering in our store. How can someone get Sweetfin quickly, easily when they want it? And then also distinct in this, how can we create spaces that distinctively look like a Sweetfin when someone walks into our stores or someone sees our logo or someone even thinks about Poke, they know that it's Sweetfin. So those are the things we focused on. We continue to focus on. We have some incredible collaborations coming up in the next quarter and even going into 2023, and we'll continue to do that. But we try to think differently, and I think that served us well in a very crowded, not only category of poke, but it's the restaurant business is crowded. We live in LA. It's a very fickle market. The fast casual world is extremely crowded. There's so many places to eat. You have to stay on your toes, be culturally relevant, and think outside of the box when you're thinking about marketing. I'm on your mailing list, and I love your communication strategy with your customer base. Can you describe what the overall intent is there, what the plan is, and how you guys are executing, and through which mediums? Sure. I'm sure people have spoken about this on the podcast, but we are trying to own our customer. And so fast casual restaurants, quick serve, I think, have fallen into this trap of relying very heavily on third-party delivery companies. and while they do from time to time generate incremental revenue, while they are great partners, at the end of the day, they own the data and they own the customer. So we had a big initiative about right going into COVID actually, of how can we own our customer data so we can market directly to them? So the way we did that and the way we continue to do that is by partnering with great technology partners. So we use Olo on our back end. We have a great partnership with Thanks. They run our loyalty program. And through those two technology partners, we're able to create a top-line funnel that's very robust. So anytime someone orders Sweetfin through our app or our website, we don't allow the guest to check out as a guest. They have to sign up. And by doing that, we basically 10x our email marketing list and customer data list over just the last year. And I think it's important with that data to use it wisely, but also not to inundate the customer with constant Sweetfin emails and messaging. So we try to reach out to our customers on a two-week cadence. And so that information or that email blast will talk about anything from our sustainability initiatives, anything kind of like an evergreen brand messaging. It will talk about a new store opening. It could talk about a new product. We may be offering free delivery for the day. Whatever it is, it's relevant. We want to keep our guests top of mind, or we want to be top of mind to our guests. And the other thing we do with this data is we've created something called an automated campaign, which I think is very important for people to understand. With an automated campaign, we know when a guest comes into Sweetfin, and we know how long it's been since they haven't been to Sweetfin. So for example... If we have a guest that's come in frequently, but for whatever reason they haven't visited in the last 30 days, they're going to automatically get an email from us just reminding them that we exist. We have a funny campaign that's cheeky that says, stop by in sashimi sometime. And (laughs) those campaigns are very successful. They run in the background. It's a great customer relationship management software. And we're just able to gently nudge and remind people, hey, we're here. We exist. We're still here for you and come in and visit us. So that's the cadence we try to hit every two weeks. 
from a social standpoint, we're actually bringing that functionality back in-house. But posting, I think it's important to create engaging content, posting every day, interacting with this community that you've created, hopefully on Instagram. We're going to really double down on TikTok, creating community on TikTok, creating engaging content that is both creative and educational and basically content that someone couldn't get anywhere else. So those are the focuses, but we try to stay top of mind without really being annoying and emailing every day, every other day. I think the two-week cadence that we've decided on seems to be working pretty well. You're also Sweetfin's director of real estate. What does that role entail? So that entails identifying new markets, finding spaces, doing market research, signing our leases. And that in itself is an important job. We work with local brokers from time to time. But if I'm going to speak honestly to a group of restaurateurs, the truth of the matter is the best deals that we have are the deals that we found ourselves. And that takes more work. But at the end of the day, driving around the city, finding opportunities to either sublease a space or take over a space, we're seeing a space that you feel like could turn but hasn't hit the market or you want to grab it before it hits the market and building a relationship with the landlord, I think is very important. The real estate world, at least in Los Angeles, is too competitive just to rely on brokers. And the second something hits loop net, it's either way overpriced or it's gone. So you got to grind it out a bit and find spaces for yourself and identify spaces. Of course, from time to time, a broker will send us an amazing deal and we've taken those. But I think it really is important to get your hands dirty in identifying potential opportunities for real estate. What does a great opportunity look like? How would you define a great location? Everyone has a different model. But speaking about Sweetfin, we look for a few things. Number one, I look for a healthy mix of residential and commercial properties. So we don't want to be in an area that's a central business district. We don't want to have to rely on just launch traffic from 1130 to two, five days a week. There's a lot of pressure in order to execute that amount of volume that you need to execute in a short period of time. And also with COVID, the world's changed. People aren't working their traditional nine to five Monday through Fridays, even though people say they're going back into the offices. You have these conversations and it's really like, well, we go in on Tuesdays and Thursdays every other week. That doesn't right. help that doesn't help a restaurant. So we want to be in an area where people live and they work. And then I like to look at co-tenancy. So we look at restaurants, we look at fitness, we look at lifestyle. What are the brands that we want to surround ourselves with? And a lot of these brands and companies have real estate teams and they have data and they basically do the work for you. You can't rely on it exclusively. But if Sweetgreen and Erwan or Whole Foods and Dry Bar and Carrie's Pilates are all opening an area, there's a reason for that. So we try to look at different co-tenancy within an area. And then I try to honestly get sales data as much as I can, relying on brokers, speaking to my network of people in the restaurant world. How are these concepts doing? What are their sales per square foot? What other KPIs can I understand with these other restaurants and businesses in the area. And from that, we're able to make, I think, a pretty good decision of whether or not something's a good location. Talk to me about impact and your work with Feast. Sure. One of the things we talk about at Sweetfin is making waves and 
leaving this world in a better place. And Feast is an incredible charitable organization. Once that they kind of hooked me uh, a few years ago when I joined was that within a certain zip code, so within five miles in Los Angeles, the city that we live in, the life expectancy in one area can be 10 years shorter than another area. And Feast, what they do is they teach members of low-income communities, usually women, not only the importance of health and wellness, but also actionable ways that they can make their community and their families healthier by healthy cooking, healthy eating, exercise. They learn how to shop on a budget. A lot of people think that the only way to eat on a limited budget is through fast food. That's not true. There's recipes for under $5 that can feed a family of four. How can we promote health and wellness in lower income communities and areas where there's food deserts? They're not a lot of healthy food options in many parts of the city that we don't necessarily go to. And also, how can we support these people to make these decisions? So a lot of the women that are in these groups are mothers, and it's very challenging for them to convince their families to live healthier lifestyles, to eat a certain way, just to think a certain way. And really, they've created this community, this support structure of people who are interested in really just enriching the lives and making their communities better through better eating decisions and better life decisions. So we support Feast both personally, but also from a company standpoint, we'll go to, you know, we'll bag groceries with them. We'll do donation days at our restaurants. We did a bowl, actually a great bowl last year with Kismet, where I think 20% of all proceeds from the bowl went directly to Feast. So it's a significant partnership. I think it really fits nicely with our mission of fueling life through freshness. And that mission shouldn't be exclusive to people that live in certain zip codes in LA. It should be just a universal way of thinking. What are your goals for 2022 and beyond? So 2022, we're here in August. We have five more openings slated for this year, which is very exciting. So we'll be opening in Beverly Hills, Studio City, Culver City, Westlake Village, and Long Beach. So that will take us up to 20 or 21 units. And the goal is to continue to deliberately, carefully build Sweetfin, build this brand as the leader in this poke category, and hopefully take the concept nationwide. And that's what we feel like we can do. It's a very fragmented market. We are, I believe, the largest poke concept in the country. Believe it or not, that's not franchising. So we're all corporate owned. I think that's the best way for us to approach in terms of owning the brand and maintaining quality control. But we feel confident in what we're doing. We love our business model. We love our product. People love our product. And we feel like the opportunities for growth are endless. The restaurant industry is filled with these unspoken rules and traditions of how things should be done. How would you like to see our industry turn the tables to create a better future for all of us? I guess my advice or what I would say to other restaurateurs is to think differently, to be innovative, to not be afraid to take risks, to not be stubborn. Things change. The world is evolving. Consumer tastes change. The way people want to consume things change. And so we're very open-minded. We're willing to test things. We're willing to really change with the times as needed. And I think innovation in a world that's moving so fast from a technology standpoint and just news cycles. I mean, it's such a busy world. 
that you need to be innovative and think differently and stand out amongst the crowd in a very crowded world. That's Seth Cohen. For more on Sweetfin, visit sweetfin.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.